0: You're in for a lesson that's a treat and a challenge today, and I want to get you ready for it. I'm going to aim the airplane at the airstrip and let him land it. And there's going to be two words that you're going to know today when you leave this place. And they're going to be, first, commitment, second, sacrifice. Can I talk about commitment? There's a list back in your Bible, and I'm not not even going to tell you where it's at yet. I'm just going to read some names. Here they are. Shemuah, Shaphat, Egael, Paltai, Gadiel, Gadai, Amiel, Sether, Nabai, Guel. Not one of you named your kids after any of those people. <laughs> That's ten names. Now this little bit of you know teaching time. Anybody here besides you, JK, or anybody that was in first service, you know where I just read that list from? Let let me read two names on that list that I didn't read. Joshua and Caleb. Ah, you've named your kids after them. Those are great heroes of God. They all saw the same thing, but 10 of them didn't have the faith to cross over. Two of them did. We have to ask the question. Y'all have crossed over. You've been on a journey. Now, that journey may have felt like the wilderness with the children of Israel. Can I tell you something? Your minister and your leaders are tired. This has, been a, this has not been an easy journey. And I want you to pray for them and encourage them. But I also want you to know this. Y'all made the journey. But Here's something about that journey. I love maps. Y'all like maps? I like maps. On this journey... The children of Israel took 40 years. J.K., has it felt like 40 years? It has, hasn't it? Do you know, if experts have said this. If the children of Israel had just crossed the Red Sea and headed straight to the Jordan to go into the Promised Land, it would have taken them, now catch this, 11 days. An 11-day journey took 40 years. And only a couple of folks that started that journey got to finish it. Not everybody gets to go across the Jordan. That's just the truth. In your Bibles, there's a book named after this character that I just named called Joshua. And I just want to read a little bit to you from that, starting in the, the fourth chapter, verse 20. Listen to what it says. They're ready to cross. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, "'In the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean?' Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried up the land and everyone crossed over. Verse 24, listen to this. He did this so that all The nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so you might fear the Lord your God forever. You have crossed over, and it is not so that you can take your rest. It is not so you can rejoice about all good God is to you, but so that all... Notice this phrase. Every time the Bible says nations you might insert in that lost people. That's who he's talking about. He did what he did for you in this place so that lost people can see the power of God. That's why you're here. It's not just because it's got more comfy seats than those folding chairs, and by the way, they are. Amen. But it's so that the nations can know Jesus. You're surrounded by them. Now, again, not everybody, I I know this. I'm going to say something because I'm a guest, and I do this every day. All over the country we do this. People make these moves into better facilities. And some folks don't make that journey. Can we just go ahead and admit that? It's just the fact. It's the way it works everywhere. You're not alone in that. And I just want to let you off the hook on that. Don't, Don't worry too much about that. Don't get all fretting about that. Just know that God's put you in a new field, and there's new wheat to harvest. Okay, you ready for that? Now, I I just got a hunch. Anybody here like the Furs buffet across the way? I kind of like that. Anything attached to chicken and buffet is kind of good with me. I kind of like it. I've been there a few times with you, J.K. Yeah, we've had a few prayer meetings at that place. But some of the folks, full of reasons why they couldn't make the journey, maybe it's the drive, maybe it's this, that, and the other thing. If Furs made a a commercial that said, tomorrow, all of the buffet meat is free, they'd drive from Houston to get that. (laughs) So I just want you to know, don't fret so much. I want you to know that you're being called to take up a stone and build a monument to God. You're on the other side. It's in not about you. Build a monument to God. Now, I follow that idea of stones all the way to the New Testament. And I want you to look at the, the book of 1 Peter. Now, now, listen close. In the second chapter, just one little verse. And you are living stones. That God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priesthood. Every one of you. You are the stones. God is building a monument with you. Now, how many of y'all been on a cruise? You ever been on a cruise? I kind of like cruises. Not a lot. I, I can't afford the new wardrobe every time I go on one that I get bigger. But you know why they're so nice? Because you've got people serving you all day long. Man, they take your towels and worst clothes and make bunny rabbits on your bed. You ever you seen that, you know? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, it's all day long. What do you need? Let me serve you. And you can get kind of used to that, can't you? Well, this sounds a lot like church. you got ministers and leaders, and, and they are great servants, and, and churches are conditioned by themselves to come and enjoy that process, and we turn it into a cruise ship. I want you to hear this. If the church was a ship, there really are no passengers, only crew members. And every crew member has a job that they're expected to do. You get to be on a cruise ship when Jesus comes back for us. Not until then. What are you going to do? I got to tell you one more story. And then J.K. is going to bring this thing home in a way that's going to leave an impact in your life. Because if you want to talk about commitment, you can't do it without being ready to talk about sacrifice. And he's going to teach you what that means. I coached high school basketball a few years ago. And I I had a team that was, they they were so naturally talented, it was pathetic. These young men could, without even effort, win their conference and their district every year. So we had a meeting. I said, well, what's your goals this year? We're going to win conference. going to win districts. That's it? I think we want to win sectionals and go to state. I said, oh, okay. Here's what I want to tell you. You can be just as lazy as you always are, and you're going to win your conference because this is a terrible conference. You fellas don't even need to practice, and you can win this conference. That's how bad our conference was. And you're going to win district because I don't see another team in the district that can stand up to you on your natural ability. You don't even have to – you can be committed to that all you want, but it's not going to take much. I said, but if you want to go and win sectionals, you want to go to state, you're going to have to do something more than be committed to it. You're going to have to sacrifice. You see, you can win your conference and not change your diet. You can, you can drink soda pop all day long and eat pizza. And, and You can win your conference and not practice extra. Not even going to require that. You can win your conference and not go to bed on time and be disciplined. You can do that and win conference, but you cannot win sectionals in state. Now... I'm going to leave you with this word, and the J.K. is going to come and, and teach us from the scripture. But listen to this. What got you here won't get you there. And my fellows had to learn that. You can always get here, but God didn't bring you here not to get there. What got you here today will not get you to the next place where you buy the block, where you provide jobs, where you're feeding hungry people, where the baptistry almost looks like a bathtub because people are in and out of it so much. Brother, come fill us. Take us on that journey from commitment to sacrifice. Amen. Amen. Give God some glory.
1: Thank you. Thank you. What got us here... Won't get us there. Open your Bibles briefly. Genesis. That, wasn't that a good word? Oh, my goodness. Commitment. Commitment. I want to talk about, just for a few moments, embracing the spirit of sacrifice. Turn to somebody and say, embrace the spirit of sacrifice. Genesis chapter 22, very familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to go there. And I'm not going to go through all of the history elaborately, but there's some principles that I want to pull out. 22, verse 11 through 13. When you find it, say amen. amen. All right, so everybody has it. If you don't have it, say hold up, wait a minute. Okay, let's let our young people find it. The Bible says in Genesis 22, beginning with verse number 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son, embracing the spirit of sacrifice. Of Of course, many of us might have heard the story of the chicken and the and the and the pig and their conversation, and how their farmer uh, woke up one morning and wanted to have something different for breakfast. He had never had anything other than uh, anything other than spinach and 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 vegetables and He woke up one morning and he felt quite carnivorous and the chicken overheard the farmer say. Uh, you know, this morning, I think I want to add some ham and eggs with, with my vegetables. Chicken ran back, had this conversation with the, with the pig. Hey, our farmer, he, I overheard him say he wanted to have something different for breakfast this morning. This morning, he said he wanted to have ham and eggs. And he's been so good to us. He's been feeding us. As a matter of fact, we don't ever go wanting, he gives us the drink, he takes care of us, look at you, You're, you're big and I'm even bigger. How about we give our farmer what he wants? The pig looked over at him and snorted a few times and said, that's easy for you to say. For you to give him what he wants is a commitment. For me to give him what he wants is a sacrifice. I'm here to tell you that there is a difference between commitment and sacrifice. And in this particular text, Genesis 22, God is calling to Abraham and he says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. We walk in on this text in chapter 22 without knowing what happened up to this point. But I need you to know that God didn't just rush into Abraham's life and say, make the sacrifice. It was a journey. And the journey began with different commitments. Because in order to get to the point where your faith is mature enough to sacrifice, that, to have that sacrificial faith, God uses your commitments to get you ready for your sacrifice. You're dating somebody and you think she's the best thing since sliced bread. You're dating somebody and you think he's, uh, you know, he he should be on the cover of a magazine and God sent him to me and God sent her to me and I know this is the one I, you're the one I prayed for. And you decide to go steady. I don't even know if steady is the word being used anymore (laughs) or if that's even a thing. You decide to be serious. And you begin your relational journey. That journey will begin with commitment. You're making decisions to be committed to one another in the journey. You're dating him. You, 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 you start instituting rules that will solidify your commitment. Non-verbal rules and some verbal rules and official rules and other rules. And you can't talk to her and leave who you dated before alone. And don't be calling this person and that person. And what happens is in this commitment phase, there's still time to back out. How many of you are sitting here with the person that you didn't originally start dating? Many of you. Because you have started a commitment journey with people in relationships, but that commitment never matured to the point of sacrifice. It takes commitment to say to somebody, you're going to be the one for me right now. That's a commitment to say, you know what? I'm going to invest time with you. I'm going to commit time to you. I'm going to commit time. We're going to spend time together. I'm going to commit money to you. We'll sit at the dinner table and when the waiter says, who's paying for it? I commit to where you don't have to look around and wonder. I'll gladly make the commitment to pay for your two piece and a pepper. That's the commitment journey. Then in the commitment journey, you have you you clash. You have moments where you mess up, and moments where you disappoint each other, and moments where I'm mad at you, and I don't want anything to say to you, and moments where I don't think this is working out right now, and moments where I need to talk to someone, and moments when she gets on my ever living nerves, and moments where when you look at her or you look at him and you say, "Oh, I I don't, I can't, I don't know where this is going. I don't know. I don't have any hope for the future." And moments where you mess up, and moments you should have told me, and moments why'd you tell why. Why would you lie to me? And moments, what, you, you, you could have, you know, you, why you do this and why you do that? And you forgot my birthday and you forgot our anniversary. We've been together now six months and three hours and 22 seconds and you forgot. You're in a commitment. As a matter of fact, your status at this point is in a committed relationship. Uh, Facebook has these little things and where, you, where you say what you are and different things, just statuses. And I don't know what it is for that, uh, but I think it's, you know, going steady or something like that. But, but here's the deal. It's the journey. Then one day you say, I want to take the commitment to the next level. As a matter of fact, brother and sister Bill's daughter, Stephanie Bill, just did that. It was all on Facebook, and if it wasn't public, I wouldn't talk about it, but since it's so public and people probably already saw it, if not, they can't see it. They took their commitment to the next level and get to the next level, and they're taking it to the next level, and there was a proposal, and it's pretty, and it's wonderful, and it's nice, and it's movie-like, and it's night. Nice, and it's, it is. It really, really is. That first level is the chicken level. That's the egg level relationship. The sacrifice comes when you stand before the altar and you've done your paperwork with the county clerk. And you've signed your name on the dotted line. And the preacher says, who gives this man to be married to this woman, to be married to this man? And your dad or whoever your caretaker is says, I do, and walks away and begins with the nuptials and you and gets to your part and you say, I do, and gets to his part and say, I do. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, I now present to some and introduce to others, Mr. and Mrs. McGillicuddy Johnson Williamson. it takes commitment to get married it takes sacrifice to be married because the day you get married you sacrifice your status you sacrifice your singlehood you give up a part of your life where you were able to have certain liberties and here Abraham was Spent time in the chicken stage. Before we get to chapter 22, he spends a lifetime in the chicken stage. In chapter 12, God begins demanding commitments. Everybody look in Genesis chapter 12. Read it quickly. I'm going to show you. Look at, the, look at the stage because the road to sacrifice is paved with commitment. If you cannot make commitment, you will not make sacrifice. It is hard-pressed to find someone who will go all-in on sacrifice if they can't go all-in on commitment. It's hard to find a church that will go all-in on sacrifice that won't go all-in on commitment. And even in our lives, God matures our faith to a sacrificial level and the way he does it is he demands certain commitments. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, begin with verse number one. What does the Bible say? Now the Lord said to Abram. The Lord, good to see you too. Good to see you, brother Brown. I'm sorry. Good to see you. Good to see you, preacher. Read. Now the Lord said to Abram. The Lord said to Abram what? Go forth from your country and from your relatives. Here Abram is minding his own business. Watch God start demanding things. Watch the commitment. He says, leave. Leave your country leave your what relatives relatives and from your father's house leave your father's house to the land which i will show you now watch how demanding the commitment is and how much faith it takes one he tells him to leave Leave all of your relatives, leave your family, leave your father, leave your cousins, leave your aunts, leave your uncles, leave everyone who you call family, leave your father's house. Oh, what's tied to his father's house? Inheritance is tied to his father's house. Getting what his father had is tied to his father's house. In other words, be done with everything that's due you because of your father's house. Leave, And then on top of that, he says to Abraham, I want you to leave and I'm not going to tell you exactly where you're going. It took commitment for Abraham or whose name was Abram at that time to have the faith to to make a move where there was a vision, but there wasn't a plan. Many of us are, are are anal and some of us are left-brained and, and that's good. You got you got your artsy people in here and you got your scientific people. Raise your hand if you're an art person. Raise your hand if you're a science person. Raise your hand if you're a person who who, who who's really feely, emotional. You feel in your heart, right? Raise your hand if you're a person that's logical. See? So you have a just the facts group and you have feelings group you have the group that's that's all about that's all about intuitiveness and 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 there's a group that has to know and sometimes both extremes can be dangerous but in matters of faith and in matters of commitment You are doing yourself an injustice if you think you're going to walk with God and know everywhere he's taken you and every plan he has for you. It takes a commitment to walk in faith because God will not always allow you to follow him with a GPS. Abram went, but God trained him with these commitments, because he left, but if you look in the next verse, read. And I will make you a great nation. He says, there's a promise, uh, I'm, I'm running ahead. He gives them a promise. He says, I'm gonna make you a great nation. What does that mean? What does that mean? God says, I'm gonna make you a great nation. How, does, uh, how is a person made a nation? A person's made a nation by that person's seed. By their children. I'm going to make you a great nation. Just like God put it. It's an, it's an agricultural principle. God takes a seed and makes it a great garden. Right? So he says I'm going to make you a great nation. Read. And I will bless you. I'm going to bless you. And I will make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing. Read. And I will bless those who bless you. I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. Read. And in in you, all the families of the earth. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I don't have time to get into it. I don't want to get into the details of it. But it basically means you do know that Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons or 13 kids actually by four different women, two of which were sisters. Twelve of the 13 kids were boys. One of those boys' name was Judah. And he would be the progenitor of a tribe, of a family lineage that would lead to ultimately the birth of Jesus Christ, who was of the tribe of Judah. And we worship the Lord today based upon this promise made to Abraham. Say amen if you understand that. So Abraham had all nations in him to be blessed. That was the promise. Everybody say, keep your eye on the promise. And I'm going somewhere with that. You got to keep your eye on the promise. Keep your eye on the promise. Tell the other person, keep your eye on the promise. Watch this. Next verse. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Abram did it. But read. And Lot went with him. Whoa. Lot went with him. You know, Lot was his nephew. The commitment was, leave everybody. Now somebody said he didn't say he invited him with you. Lot has no business being with him. Whether Abraham Abram invited him or whether he came on his own, at the end of the day, Abram said, "No, no, stay here." He was the uncle. That was the nephew. Stay here, neph. God said, "Leave everybody." But yet Abram, who's known as the father of the faithful, makes a bunch of mistakes. He's known. And his reputation is that he is the father of all the faithful. He is the progenitor of all who are faithful, of all who believe. Yet, if you look at his history, there's doubt and disbelief. How is it that something, someone with such a great reputation can have a history that is so marked with failure and so marked with disobedience and so marked with doubt? Because you get your training for your sacrifice in your commitment. You want to know where God trains you to be postured for sacrifice? He trains you in your commitment. I'm gonna make this really practical. Who had surgery in their lifetime? You had surgery because there was somebody to do the surgery. That person is called a surgeon. Right? At some point, the person who cut on you while you were asleep had to make the commitment of school. And he made the commitment of school so that he can sacrifice his life or use up his time to help others and make money but to cut people open like you and I when something needs to be cut open or cut out or put in there or rearranged. He got his training for the surgery he did on you in the commitment of his schooling. If he did bad in his commitment, he would have messed up the sacrifice. Which in this case would have been you on that table, baby. God trains us for sacrifice in the sequence of commitments we find ourselves in in our lives. Particularly the commitments he demands of us. Thus we have scriptures like you've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. But people who are not committed never graduate to the point of being sacrificial. Turn to somebody and say, keep your eye on the promise. So here it is. He messes up. Genesis 17, so this means means that God is saying to you, you, all nations are going to be great. They're going to be blessed because of you. All nations, all nations, from your seed, from your seed. Here's the problem. The problem is time was passing. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. Because when it's early, our faith is fresh. Early means your faith is fresh. If you just lost a job, you have the most faith of getting another job right after you lost it. That's where your faith is fresh, right after you lost it. Do you know what happens over time, potentially to our faith? The longer it takes for God to deliver on his promise, is the more of a risk there is for our faith to become what? Weak. Time passed. He was made a promise. God, you said, from my seed all nations shall be blessed. We get to chapters 15 and 16, and it was taking God too long. So what Abraham and his wife Sarah does, says, maybe God forgot about it. Let's help God out. Give God a, no, don't call him. We got it. Don't call him. Baby, don't call him. Well, God said that, you know, from my seed, but you can't have children, Sarah. Now, the only way for this to happen based upon the right now facts is for it to be my seed, but not your egg. But God made a promise. And he wasn't talking about the illegitimacy of his seed. He was talking about his legitimate seed between he and Sarah. So, what in the fullness of time? Because time went by and it didn't happen. They decided to come up with a master plan. They were thinking of a master plan. That's my MC Square coming up. I'm sorry. Used to have aspirations to be a rapper. I'm still rapping, though. So, they decided to use the handmaiden, Hagar. And up pops, out pops at the time, Ishmael, Hagar, and Abraham get together. It was a surrogate situation where, where, where just to see the fulfillment of the promise, Sarah would sacrifice being the one. Because here's the deal. No matter what direction you're going in, you will always sacrifice something for something. We're talking about sacrifice, but in particular, we're talking about sacrifice for God. But guess what? Right now, you make sacrifices. Whether you're on God's side, whether you want to do what God wants you to do or not, you make sacrifices, we make sacrifices to do the wrong thing. How many of us in here have ever made a sacrifice to do the wrong thing? Uh, This side said amen. How many on this side ever made a sacrifice to do the wrong thing? And you were committed to thinking about it all day. And that commitment grew, and that commitment seed grew into a forest of sacrifice. No matter what, you are going to be committed to something. And you're going to sacrifice something. And so Ishmael pops up. Genesis seventeen nineteen. watch this. Everybody read this, I'm almost done. Turn to somebody and say, keep your eye on the promise. Keep your eye on the promise. Bible says in Genesis 17, 19, what? But God said. <laughs> but God said. No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Now, God, now watch as God is bringing it more into focus. This is after Hagar. Listen, let me give you some details of the promise. Sarah, your wife. Now, keep in mind that at this point, she couldn't have kids. At this point, both of them were senior citizens. God is making a right now promise that goes against all of the conditions of right now. Have you ever had to have faith in something right now even though your situation right now was against what you were trusting God for? You might say, I believe I'm going back to school. I'm having faith to get back in school. Then you look at your right now bank account. I have faith everything is going to be all right with my health. Then you listen to your right now doctor's report. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It isn't initially what's hoped for. It's being able to look at eggs and milk and butter and batter and call it a cake before it even gets into the oven. So God just gets more focused on the promise. He says, look here, look here, your wife Sarah shall bring forth. This is how I'm going to do it. But there was nothing about their situation that said it could happen. As a matter of fact, we know his son is named Isaac. You know, the word Isaac came as their name, his name came as a result of their humored Doubt. Because when God told the angel, God sent the angel to tell Sarah, look, you're going going to get pregnant. Here she was in her 90s. She laughed. And the name Isaac means laughter. Isaac means laughter. And if we were honest with ourselves, some of the promises God made to us, we ought to be calling laughter. That degree you have needs to be your master's degree in laughter. That job you got should be you should call it, well, I'm a laughter specialist because you could never imagine you smirked, you chuckled when you entertained the idea that God could bless you in that way. How many of you have things in your life that you need to rename laughter because you never thought it would come to pass? Well, finally he hits the son. He loves his son, his only son, his only legitimate son. And I'm going to tell you something, the illegitimacies will follow you. Don't get it twisted. Ishmael became an enemy to Isaac forever. Ishmaelites, enemies to Isaac. How many of us? See, even in this move, there are things right now, things that are illegitimate that we're having to suffer through because of decisions we made in our commitment process. But it's all right. God got you. That's the beauty of God's sovereignty. That he doesn't cancel the whole deal because you faltered in your commitment. Isn't that beautiful? God got you. He doesn't do away with the whole plan because you messed up. As a matter of fact, when God has something for you, if you falter in your commitment, you can't, oh God, you can't even stop what God has for you if he wants you to have it. You cannot stop what God has for you if he wants you to have it. Now, watch this. You may not enjoy it, but if God wants you to have it, you can't stop it. So, if you can't stop it if you tried, if if you're not trying to stop it and you stumble along the way, this is the process. This is the journey between commitment and what? Sacrifice. So, he messed up. He took Lot with him, ended up having to save Lot and go to war. Then he and Sarah had this illegitimate child through Hagar and all of this. And yet Abraham is called the father of the faithful. He's called a friend of God in the book of James. And here, God is being very specific. He has Eventually, he has Isaac, and Isaac is his boy. It's his pride and joy. God finally gave him what he said he would give him. The promise has come to pass. He kept, he kept his eye on the promise, and right now, this is where we would like to put a period in the story because we like stories that end with happily ever after, but it doesn't. He has Isaac, his son of laughter. He has Isaac, his only begotten son. He has Isaac, the son of his old age. He has Isaac, the son of his hope and the son of his faith. And there he is. He's training him just like any good father who has a son would. Trains him and spends time with him. And then one day out of the clear blue, God, the God who blessed him with that son says, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. He says, now I want you. (laughs) I, I... I followed you and walked with you through these commitments. I told you and called you away from your father's inheritance, from your father's house, from your relatives and your kin, and you made the commitment and you messed up here and there and you faltered here and there and I made you a promise and you messed up here and there. You got Ishmael, you got an illegitimate son, but you have stayed on course. You stayed faithful. When you fell down, you didn't stay down. You got back up and kept following me. You sought my face and you kept following. You got scarred. You got bruised you got fractured and you got messed up in the process but praise God you kept following and guess what when your commitment was broke you got back up and you walked with a broken commitment but you kept following after me and you kept your eye on the promise and because you kept your eye on the promise I'm giving you a son but now I want you to take that son And I want you to give him up. Take him to the land of Moriah and I'll show you which mountain. And I want you to give him up as a sacrifice. (sighs) What? This is where the story is supposed to end. I got Isaac. God, you made the promise. I received it. I stayed committed, even though my commitment was shaky and was fractured. And now you are telling me to give up what you gave me? God was testing Abraham to make sure that the blessing didn't get between them. Ooh, Jesus, help me, Holy Ghost. Because God will bless us, but he never wants the blessing to get between us and him. He doesn't want the new job to get between you and him. You prayed for it. You said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. You asked others to pray about it. You prayed and you even fasted. You get it. You're making money. You're moving up in the company. And suddenly, God says, okay, I need you to be committed in this ministry. And you say, "What? I can't. Lord, I'm working the job you blessed me with. And I can't tell you how many Christians let God's blessing get in between them and God. And God wanted to ensure and he wanted to see or experience that God, that he was more important than what he promised. Abraham. So Abraham sanctified Isaac. Everybody say sanctified. I've got to stop. Before there's sacrifice, there has to be sanctification. If you wanna sacrifice something, you have to sanctify. To sanctify it means to set it apart. Here's another example of sanctify. To give it a designated destination. To designate a destination. Many of us sanctify our children. How many, are there any parents that have aspirations for your children? You have given your children a designated destination. You've said, oh, yeah, you're going to be great. When he's little running around and playing around, oh, he's going to play football. He's going to do this. And parents, we can designate a destination. Some of us, our parents designated a destination for us, sanctified us, and started investing in the designation that they designated for us. I'm sure... Abraham did that. But what happens when God erases your designated destination and says, set him apart for what I want to do and I want you to kill him. How did Abraham survive it? He kept his eye on the promise. Bible says he took him up, laid him out, and began the process, lifted his dagger, and would have come down, and the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, now I know, I know that you trust me. I know that you'll serve me. I know that you're doing this. And here's the deal. Many of us want God to know what we don't show him. the spirit of sacrifice says that I will do, I'm willing, there's nothing I'm tied to more than I'm tied to God. And if I've got to choose between something being lost and something being kept and something being given up and something being retained, if I've got to make a choice between my relationship with God and my relationship with what he gave me, sacrifice means I'd give that up. Now, sacrifice is only as worth, only as deep as the relationship between the person and the and the thing to be sacrificed. Meaning, some of us are calling things sacrifice that are not really sacrifice. You're not tied to it. Right? We punish our kids like that. We find out what they're tied to. Then we give them punishment. And if they can't talk on the phone... And they're not, they don't usually talk on a phone, and they, they have a phone, and when you call them, they never answer because they never use their phone. And you say, I'm going to punish you because I'm going to take your phone from you. That's not hurting them. Has anyone ever been punished in a way that didn't hurt you as a child? It didn't help you? It didn't make you better? You say, what, what? Oh, I can't do what? All right, you went in your room and said, I don't do that anyway. But sacrifice has to hurt. We've been asking this church to be committed. But God is asking and demanding this church to sacrifice. When Abraham did that, what God was doing is he was giving Abraham a peek into what God himself would do. And it took faith for Abraham to do it. But who did God have faith in to do it? It didn't take faith for God to sacrifice his son. While it took Abraham faith to sacrifice Isaac, God did it not because of faith, but because of love. For God so loved the world that he gave, watch this, his only Begotten Son, and now God is saying, "Embrace sacrifice." We live in a society that wants something for nothing and don't demand anything for anything. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to do this, and this cannot be the kingdom. It's time to sacrifice. Sacrifice what time? Well, you say, "Yeah, I do sacrifice my time." Yeah, my question is, how much do you value your time? Because if you don't value your time, it's not a sacrifice. That's why it's easier for some of us to sacrifice our time because we don't have as much value on our time as we do some other things. Do you know why one of the hardest things it is for people to sacrifice is money? Do you know why? You ever think about why? Because we're tied to it. A sacrifice is only as difficult as the connection and the attachment between you and what you're sacrificing. But the greatest level of faith is not seen in you sacrificing something that has no value, but sacrificing something that has great value. Because when it came to saving us, God could have sacrificed all the trees in the world. He could have sacrificed every horse in the world. He could have said, I'm going to cause every horse to die for your sins. He could have sacrificed the stars in heaven, and he could have said, for your sins, I will sacrifice all the stars of heaven, and just with a blow out of my divine lips, every star will lose their twinkle just to save you. No, God took something he valued. Something that was attached to him. And the Holy Spirit shows us how attached he was to him. You know how when Jesus got baptized, as a proud papa, God said, hey, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was a proud father of his son, Jesus. And God says to show you how much I love you, I'm going to demonstrate it with a sacrifice that will hurt me. (laughs) I love you enough to hurt me to save you. You haven't sacrificed if it hasn't hurt. If it hasn't hurt. Now you can be committed and not not hurt that bad. But if it hasn't hurt, you have not learned sacrifice. And guess what it's going to take for us to do what God has put us here to do? It's going to take commitment, yeah, because you can't get sacrifice without commitment. But it's dangerous to put people on the sacrifice committee that haven't spent time on the commitment in the commitment ministry. God is demanding more sacrifice. And in order to get there, you got to be committed. God says, I'm committed to you. I sacrifice to you. Now, what does that look like? We know that Genesis 22 looks like Jesus, which is exactly what it was. It was a pre- a preview of what God would do, and ultimately He did it. And Jesus died on the cross. He died. He was God's only begotten Son. Died on the cross for your sins. And here's the thing: the object of, or guess what, the recipients of the sacrifice weren't worthy, because it's easy to sacrifice for somebody who's thankful. How many of you find it easy to do something for people who will? give you a barrage of thank yous and I really appreciate it. How many of you can easily do that for somebody? It's easy to give somebody, somebody, to help somebody that you know is going to be grateful and walk around it. But how many of you would do it for somebody you know won't even say thank you? How many of you enjoy doing it? See, part of the sacrifice was not only Jesus and his connection to Jesus, but also the disposition of the ones he was sacrificing for. That is part of the sacrifice because for a good man, some would dare to die. Romans 5, but God commended his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, I gave you the best of me while you were the worst toward me. And now God says, I showed you what sacrifice looks like. Go do it. Go do it. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, be committed. But pick up your lessons because one day I'm going to demand sacrifice. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. it. And guess what? You never know when God is going to call for sacrifice. Watch this. In the church and even in your personal life, you're committed to your wife. You're committed to your child. Yes, stay committed because one day something might happen where you have to sacrifice. And if you have a hard time being committed, you're going to have almost an impossible time being sacrificed. The story is told as I end of, of of a guy that had gotten partially eaten by a shark. He survived it. And uh, he lived on and had scars. The shark had got him across his shoulder, and so his shoulder was deformed and got it part of his leg, so he walked, and his head had hit a reef as he struggled in the water. And I'm just, I'm walking in on part of the story. And so here he is, and people looked at him as he worked a job at Walmart in California by the bay. And. Here he was, dragging, and he looked partially deformed, and people would look at him and feel sorry for him. Hmm. Some people would try to whisper and try to figure out a story, because you know, if you look too messed up, people will add their narrative to your look. They will try to diagnose why you look like that, where you got that scar from, why, what, what's that's going on, why you talk like that, why you got that tick. They will give a narrative to your story. But, and people often did that until one day was brave, someone was brave enough to ask him, what, what happened? You, you have to be, that has to be really sad. And I, my heart goes out to you. And the guy started laughing. <laughs> hey, 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 he started laughing, and the person who's looking at him and pitying him and seeing this deformed man and laughing in front of him, the guy that, that was talking to him finally said, Why are you laughing? He's saying, Me looking like this was worth what I saved to look like it. And the guy said, What are you talking about? See, I didn't just get bitten by a shark. I got bitten by a shark trying to save my kid. And me looking like this is worth what I saved to look like this. A man from heaven goes up back to heaven with wounds he didn't have when he left. See the angelic host as they see Jesus come back up into heaven. But this time he looks nothing like he did when he left. When he left, he left as the Logos came down, became Emmanuel. No scars, no bruises, no nothing. When he goes back up into heaven, he has a hole in his hand, a hole in his feet, and pierce in his side, and thorn prints in his head. Why do you look like that, Jesus? Why me looking like that was worth who I had to save and who who did he save? He saved you and he saved me and he did it by way of sacrifice now Jesus says go do it do what I did and sacrifice uh-uh, don't just give something you don't care about sacrifice what you are attached to and I guarantee you if you do it you'll be pleasing to me because there's nothing we can sacrifice to God that God didn't give to us first so you start out with a blessing then you go do that sacrifice thing Jesus did that for you. If you're here, and you're not a Christian. I need to tell you you're, gonna, you, 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 you're being exposed this morning to what God sacrificed for you. He gave Jesus for you. You should have looked like that. And Jesus, do you regret it? No. These nail prints are worth who I saved, who I made salvation available to everybody. Stand to your feet. So this is your moment. This is your moment. Coming to Christ is a sacrifice. What do you mean a sacrifice? I'm not talking about give up clubbing and kibbutz. And I'm not saying you could do it. You should do that. But the sacrifice ain't you giving up clubbing and giving up this. It's about you exchanging your life for his. He that cometh after me must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And if you need to come. Come believing that he is the son of God. Come repenting of your sins, confessing him with your lips and your life. Being buried with Christ in baptism. Come. He gave his life for you.